So Merry Christmas. And yes, it is still Christmas, even though Target is already selling chocolate bunnies for Easter. And I'm not kidding, I saw them. But this feels about right, doesn't it? As they were also selling Christmas treats and decorations before Halloween. We have this crazy way of rushing our holidays and then dropping them before they're even over to scramble on to the next one. So to those of you waiting until tomorrow, Epiphany, to take down Christmas, if your home looks more like this, I say well done. Way to be countercultural. Did you know it was so easy to be a rebel? In the 12 days of Christmas, that carol with its whimsy, albeit irritating whimsy, of lords a-leaping and maids a-milking is purely cultural. And many mistakenly believe that these 12 days of Christmas are leading up to Christmas rather than stretching beyond to January 6th. And the sentiments of golden rings and turtle doves and drummers drumming are far too light for what really comes after the birth of the Christ child. We have, in these last few days of the Christmas season, entered the darkness of Christmas. Unspeakable horror is embedded in the narrative of the early days of Jesus' life. There is no partridge in a pear tree here, my friends. And those villains of secular Christmas, Scrooge or Old Man Potter or the Grinch, these aren't true darkness. They don't even come close to the evil that is Herod. In today's gospel, Joseph is once again visited by an angel of the Lord in a dream. And this time the angel instructs Joseph to take Mary and their son to Egypt to flee immediately in order to keep them safe. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And once again, thankfully, Joseph is obedient. The Holy Family fleeing, an iconic image of refugees fleeing for their lives. And we see their faces in the faces of so many in this very day. We are then assaulted with the telling of the slaughter of the innocents, an act so horrific it's difficult to even speak of. A desperate act of immeasurable cruelty ordered by a desperate and paranoid tyrant. Our gospel for today does include these lines, verses 16 through 18, but not every lectionary does, and I'm glad we do. It gives the details of how Herod planned to destroy Jesus. And I think too much of our faith and too much of our life can gloss over the things that are hard to look at. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated 
And he sent and killed all the children. And in the Bible, when children are named, it really specifically means boys. In and around Bethlehem, who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they were no more. As hard as these words were for you to hear, they are steeped in reality, our very reality, the reality of a fallen world where people perpetuate evil. Herod is not really such an anomaly, is he? We've had Ivan the Terrible, Robespierre, Stalin, Hitler, Mao, Idi Amin, Pinochet, just to name a few. History is replete with examples of leaders willing to destroy their own people to remain in power. Herod is simply one of many. As hard as these words were for you to hear, for all of us to hear, they are steeped in reality, our reality. The reality of a world where mothers still weep over the slaughter of their innocence, their children. This scene resonates so deeply with the human experience over time that artists have depicted it in iconography, iconography, frescoes, sculptures, and paintings. Images of mothers holding tightly to babies to ward off the unimaginable. Rachel weeps. We weep. And God weeps. Existential questions abound in this scripture reading. Who were these soldiers sent out to do Herod's dirty work? They're never named, but they were there. Can you imagine being given that order? Can you imagine their journey to carry out Herod's plan? The fear they must have had of retribution to their personal lives and their families to do something so horrid. How did they live with themselves after the slaughter? There is always moral complexity in carrying out difficult orders for every soldier to this present day. There's the question of how did Jesus, in his humanity, bear what we would call today survivor's guilt? Camus, the absurdist, addresses this question in his final novel, The Fall. And he posits that Jesus is not innocent in the slaughter of the innocents, that the sacrificial deaths of baby boys for his life foreshadows and informs his sacrificial death for all. 
And of course, there's the perennial question of where is God in a massacre? How does an omnipotent God allow such atrocities to take place? And they still take place. Syria, Darfur, Rwanda. Genocides are not limited to ancient texts. There's a study of religion called theodicy. And theodicy addresses the eternal question of how do bad things happen to good people? And theodicy points us, in this case, to the free will given to man. And what, and that when man freely chooses evil, God weeps with us. Jeremiah tells us, I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. Not that we won't have mourning and sorrow, but that God will be present in it. On Christmas Eve, our bishop, who preached here in the cathedral, at both late services, preached on this very thing, the promise of Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. And finally, there's the question in this text, if this was foretold by the prophets, how is God not enmeshed in it? As one commentator said, these texts are often called fulfillment scripture. And that does not mean that God ordained it, but rather it was ordered by Herod, and these acts are not a fulfillment of God's desire. They are examples of human fear, power-seeking, anger, and evil. Humans are responsible for the evil they inflict on one another. This is challenging scripture. I know, trust me. It took me a long time to be able to look at it directly. I find it terrifying. It is darkness itself. It feels like an affront. And where is the Mary, M-E-R-R-Y, in this last day of Christmas? In these darkest days of the year, in what for some are the darkest days of their lives as they live with insecurity and uncertainty, it does point us to the light. That same light that shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. A child who was spirited away to a foreign land so that he might live so that we might all live. And not to live perfect, easy, trouble-free lives, but rather lives wherein the inevitable mourning and sorrow can be turned into joy and gladness. To live with a God who loves us and weeps with us in the darkness. 
and continually points the way to the light. And on this 12th day of Christmas, we are given a hard story with unvarnished details and a reminder of the source of our hope and light in the days that are still all too often ruled by dangerous leaders and rife with injustice and pain. In this coming season of Epiphany, the next many Sundays, we will be given signs. Signs of who Jesus is, why Jesus came, and signs for us and how to live in a fallen world with hope and light. <laughs>